We're going to study tonight a pair of chuvos of the Chasim Sofer. The Chasim Sofer, Ramosha Sofer, one of the greatest poskim of the last several centuries, needs no introduction. The two chuvos we're going to study have to do with a practical question coming up upon us soon, before Rosh Hashanah. The beginning of the first chuva, however, deals with a totally different, rather bizarre question. Not just my estimation, Chasim Sofer himself thought the question was pretty bizarre. Interesting enough in its own right, but the, the theme that's even more interesting of the two chuvos has to do with the laws of Shemitah as they apply to us in Chutzlarts. So we'll begin with the first chuva. He says he doesn't know who his correspondent was, but he seems to be a Ben Torah, a Talmud Chacham. The, his correspondent had had an argument, apparently, that his correspondent's uh, opponent had argued, had maintained, that nobody should be a shliach tzibur if he was wearing woolen garments, if he's, if he's wearing malbushe beged semer. Why? So the reason is even more bizarre than the concept. The reason is because they would daven in Nusach Sfard. They would daven, according to the Sfard ritual, either actual Sfard or Nusach Sfard, but they, they would daven in the manner of Svard. And Svard is wonderful. Svard is the best kind of tefillah that there is. Le'ela mikal berchasa. And someone wearing wool, that just inappropriate for him to daven the lofty nusach of Svard. That, right, that makes as little sense as it sounds. And Chesim Tov himself feels that way, as we'll see in the tshuva. But this was what one of these two people argued, that somehow wearing woolen clothing is inimical to the lofty nusach of Svard. And the Chassam Sofer's correspondent uh, didn't agree. He thought that someone should not be barred from the Amud just because he was wearing woolen clothing. Says the Chassam Sofer. First of all, he says, you both agree that Rov Kal Yisrael, most Jews do wear woolen clothing. And they don't consider that anything wrong with that. What might the issue of wrong be? So the Chassam Sofer mentions two possibilities. One based on halacha, one halachic objection to woolen clothing, and one Kabbalistic objection. The halachic objection is shatnis. Maybe there's a, a single thread, a fiber of linen, that became commingled with the wool. So the chumrah would be avoid woolen garments entirely, because maybe they're shatnis. Today, we have shatnis checking and so on, but even that, you know, hit and miss, they, they only look for certain things. Back then... They really had nothing, I guess. So who knows? You have a woolen garment. Who knows what's in there? Maybe there's some linen thread somewhere. So that would be a chumrah not to wear wool at all. Forget davening for the omelet. Not to wear wool, period. Full stop. No wool suits, no wool coats, no wool skirts, no anything. No wool in talesos, maybe. I don't know. But uh, no wool anything, because maybe there's linen in there. Says the Chassam Sofer, it's actually a good chumrah, he says. Someone who has this chumrah, kadosh yomerlo. We, uh, we can see that he's a holy man. But to say that someone who doesn't have this chumrah can't daven for the Amud, that's uh, crazy, he says. Has shalola Just because you don't have this extreme chumrah, not a reason to be denied the Amud. Furthermore, he says, even your, even your opponent who says that woolen, woolen, wool-wearing people shouldn't have the Amud, he says, he also agrees that halachically it's not a, not a problem. He has a second objection to woolen garments, and that is based on mystical reasons, Kabbalistic reasons because the, the tefillah of Sfard is somehow incompatible with woolen clothing. Says the Chassam Sofer, he reacts pretty much as you 
or I would react. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know what he's saying. Perhaps, Chesim Sofer says, I'll keep an open mind. If he'll explain to me what the details of his Kabbalistic objection, he'll explain to me how and what and when. He says, okay, maybe you'll understand it. I'll be able to, uh, to analyze this argument. He says, but as it stands now, this is just nonsense. He says, this is just crazy. This makes no sense. It's just because you're wearing wool, you can't dive in Nusuf Svart, and that is preposterous. Then the Chasim Sofer has a very interesting theological explanation of Tvila. He explains, again, using quasi-Kabbalistic terminology. The Chasim Sofer himself actually does not really write Kabbalah in most of his writings. It is, it is widely believed, there is a strong belief that he knew Kabbalah, although he kept it secret and uh, didn't engage in public discussion of it. In, in some chuvas, I think he declaims any, he disclaims any knowledge of Kabbalah. Here, he gives a theory of tefillah. He says, when, he says, I, I, I have said before that, I have, that the tradition he has received from his teachers, his great teachers, Mori Hagon HaChassid Shabakahuna, the great master, his great teacher, the Chassid, the Kohen, Rabbi Nassim Adler, a legendary figure, legendary, revered teacher of the Chassim Sofer, his other teacher is Hagon, Rabban Shlokol Bnei Hagola, the, the great, uh, one of the Gedolei Adar of the time, the author of the Hafla, Rabbi Pinchas Horowitz, that he studied under them, and he learned their Torah. They taught him that all Neschos of Tfila, Svard, Ashkenaz, they're all equivalent. They all contain within them great secrets, great, uh, wonderful connotations. We don't understand them. We're not privileged to, to, we don't, we're not privileged to know all the great mysteries of the Tfila. But we do know, this we know, that they're all equal, they all, they're, they're different forms of the same thing, but they all have the same great mysteries embedded within them. When we daven, we typically don't know all these great mysteries, so we just latch on to the intent of the composers of the tefillah. They knew what they were doing, and we just say the words they said, and we somehow get credit, we get the benefit of all the great mysteries that they packed into the tefillah. They all had the same thing in mind, so on and so on. He says, Now the Arizal, when the Nerelo came, when the Arizal came and he taught us some of the secrets, he understood these things, and he, he taught the, the secrets in the Tefillah of Svart. That's why many Kabbalistic, many followers of Kabbalah, Davin Svart, Hasidim and Svardim, of course, and other people who favor Kabbalah, because the Arizal explained mysteries in the Tefillah of Svart. Says the Chasim Sofer, that's not because the tefillah of Svard, of Nusach Svard, is actually more Kabbalistically oriented. Absolutely not. He says both Ashkenaz and Svard have the equivalent, the identical Kabbalistic mysteries in them. The reason that Rizal explained tefillah of Svard is because historically he was, a, uh, he was from Svard. He was a Svardi. Had he been Ashkenazi, he says, or had there been a man of his stature, of his Kabbalistic acumen among the Ashkenazim, he would have explained Tfilas Ashkenaz based on Kabbalistic mysteries, he says. But unfortunately, there was no such person. So the, the mysteries of the, the Kabbalistic mysteries of Tfilas Svard have been explained to us by the Arizal. The Kabbalistic mysteries of Tfilas Ashkenaz have not been explained to us because we have no figure equivalent to the Arizal. So now, he says, those who, people in our generation, are certainly not on the madrega that they can decipher the mysteries on their own. The best we can do is to try to understand what that result taught us. We, we can't derive the mysteries on our own from Ashkenaz, he says. So those who are attuned to Kabbalah, 
people like his great teacher, he says, people like his, uh, people like his great teacher, Rabinasan Adler, who was a Kabbalist, he says, he himself would daven svart because he was able to comprehend the Kabbalistic mysteries revealed by the Arizal, and the Arizal only explained these mysteries in svart, so he would daven svart. However, he says, ordinary people who anyway don't really understand the Kabbalah and are simply going to daven the words and uh, have a general intention for all the mysteries that were incorporated therein by the authors of the tefillah, then it makes no difference really whether it's Ashkenaz or Svart. It's, uh, it, then it makes no difference really, he says, whether they daven Ashkenaz or Svart. He says, either way, he'll have the benefit of those mysteries, but it's easier to daven whatever Nusach you're familiar with, he says. So therefore, he says, the, the Nusach Adler, the Arizal, the, and the Hafla, they understood the Kabbalah of the Arizal, so they would daven Svart. However, even in their shuls, they would be the ones to daven Nusach Ari, Nusach Svart, a version of Nusach Svart, but the rest of their shuls would not, because they were not on the Madrega to understand the Kabbalistic mysteries. They daven Ashkenaz, even the son, even the son of the Gon, I think he means the son of the Hafla, the author of the Machine Levi, he, he, uh, he was uh, he kept he kept Nusach Ashkenaz when his father passed away. He uh, abolished his father's uh, shul and he davened in the regular shul of the community of Frankfurt. That's well known and uh, public knowledge. He says so. Special people who understood the Kabbalah of Arizal could daven that Nusach because they they actually understood the Arizal's teachings. For ordinary people, it doesn't matter. Ashkenaz is in no way inferior to Svard, contrary to what this uh, person had held. Svard is somehow superior and therefore incompatible with wool, somehow, says, says the Chassam Sofer. First of all, it doesn't make any sense. And in general, you're wrong if you think that Svard is somehow a loftier Nusach than Ashkenaz. He says, we should all keep our Nusach, that all the Nuschos are equal, we should keep our Nusach. And some people who daven Svard, maybe they know the secrets of Arizal and they understand what they're saying. Great, that's wonderful. Someone who doesn't understand the mysteries of Arizal. We should just be mispalel and intend whatever the authors of the tefillah meant, and our tefillah will be just as effective. But certainly neither tefillah is worse, neither tefillah is somehow better and incompatible with wool. That, once again, Chassam Sofer says, divrei hevel hema, not all ideas are valid and worthy of discussion. Again, Chassam Sofer says, he'll keep an open mind if you... Uh, if you, if you show him, explain to him why this is true, he'll listen, he says. But as things stand, this is nonsense. I did not research the matter more thoroughly and, find, and check whether there was any justification of this or any subsequent achronim accepted and adopted this thesis that Svard is somehow better and therefore somehow incompatible with wool. But the Chassam Sofer reacts much as we would, although with, a, with, with an attitude of much greater authority, that this is nonsense, that, that there's nothing incompatible between Svard and Wool. Okay, none of us are probably very surprised by this position, and none of us uh, probably expect him to say otherwise. That is the first section of the tshuva. The next section of the tshuva is truly fascinating, fascinating in a different way, and it, is, it has great implications for halachalamaisa, for minhag, and is a, is a fascinating idea in its own right. The Chassam Sofer apparently fails. He wants to say something interesting besides just say, I don't know what you're talking about. So he says, he records a truly fascinating minhag. He says, a minhag, once again, he invokes the authority of his great teacher, Rabbi Nassim Adler. Rabbi Nassim Adler was a fascinating figure. We don't know that much about him, but Chassam Sofer revered him and just spoke about him as a Malach Elohim, uh, a, a, a Kabbalist, a, a creative and uh, fascinating figure. 
So he says he saw the custom of his great teacher, Rabbi Nassim Adler, who will encounter him yet, yet again tonight, a little bit later. The Chassam Sefer here relates that in the Menhagim of his great teacher, Rabbi Nassim Adler, he saw that on the Yom Tov of Sukkot, he would not call for the Aliyah of Levi, he would not give the Aliyah of Levi to anyone who's Ochel Chadash, anyone who is not meticulous about, about Yashan, about eating, eating food, only food that's Yashan, he would, he would not allow him to receive the Aliyah of Levi on the Yom Tov of Sukkot. Why? man Now, if you think about it, what do we read, what do we read, on, uh, what do we read on, on the first two days of Sukkot? We read Sharoch uh, Hesev from, from Emar, the parasha of the Moadim. And we read that actually several times a year. We read that on Pesach, the second day of Pesach. We read it on Sukkot, first two days of Sukkot. And we also read it on the, we also read it on, when we read that Pasha, we read Pasha's Emmer. So, on Pesach, and when we read Pasha's Emmer, he would allow a Levi to get that Aliyah, but specifically on Sukkot, he would not give a Levi, he would not give that Aliyah to someone who ate Chadash. Why? So he says it's a Matthias question. It has to do with the realia, he says. Because when, on Pesach, there is no Chadash on the market. Because the, the definition of chadash is all grain that grows is chadash until during the time of the temple, the carbon omer is brought, until the end of the 16th of Nisan. So, right before Pesach, pretty much everything, right before Pesach, pretty much all the, much of the grain on the market is chadash because anything that grew in the last few months and made it to the, made it to the, to the consumer is going to be chadash. The only grain, grain becomes yashan once it exists once it grows to a certain level of its development, and Pesach occurs. So right after Pesach, by Chalamoid Pesach, in the middle of Chalamoid Pesach, all grain is Yashan, because no grain grew in those two days. Certainly no grain made it to you after growing in those two days. So right after Pesach, all grain is, all grain is Yashan. As the grain grows throughout the year, and, and is harvested and processed, and makes it to the store shelves, and makes it to the consumer, increasingly you get, you get grain at, uh, in the hands of the consumer, that is chadash, and that grain becomes aser until next Pesach. So, so yashin and chadash depends on the time of the year. Right after Pesach, the first few months, there's no problem. There, there's nothing, the supply chain is long enough, there's nothing that reaches the consumer that's actually chadash, because it, ta- it takes more than a couple of months to get from the field to grow, to be harvested, to be processed, to be made into food, to make it to the consumer. Right around this time of the year, by the time you get to August and September, I'm not using the Hebrew calendar because Chadash has to do with the agricultural cycle, the way it grows, which has to do with the solar calendar, not the lunar calendar. Around August and September is where, at least in America, the way our supply chain works is, is around the time that Chadash starts getting to the consumer. So on Pesach, and when we read Parshas Emar, it's too early in the year for Chadash to be an actual issue. However, Sukkos, the Chassam Sofer says, that's when Chadash is actually making it to the consumer. Barley in particular, the nature of the harvest of barley in Europe was that it had already been harvested by Sukkos, and it's Chadash until Karben HaOmer. And if the Levi who reads, the Aliyah of Levi on the first two days of Sukkos reads the Pasuk from Parshas Emar, until you bring the Omer, that is the biblical prohibition of Chadash. Says the Chassam Sofer, this, is, this would just be uh, chutzpah or hypocrisy. Someone who's not meticulous about chadash, 
He's going to make the bracha brachta Torah. He's going to sit there. They're going to read the prohibition. You're not allowed to eat chadash. V'shuv, yishtashekar, he'll go home. He'll drink beer. V'yayin sraf, he'll drink uh, spirits that are made from barley. V'yochal pito mechumat v'shimrei shekhar, and he'll eat bread, which was uh, leavened with, uh, with uh, beer ingredients. Shall rov poskim gambas manazeo daraisa. According to most poskim, chadash is prohibited in daraisa. Does that make any sense? Someone who's not meticulous about chadash is going to get the aliyah. That's just flagrant uh, hypocrisy. You can't do that. So Rav Nassim Adler would refuse to give the aliyah this time of the year to, uh, to, to someone who didn't keep Chadash, didn't keep Yashin. Even though on Pesach, for example, if someone got this aliyah, he's a person who didn't keep Chadash, didn't keep Yashin last year, won't keep Yashin next year. All right, but at least right now on this Yom Tov, he's not, uh, this Yom Tov, he's not violating, he's not violating uh, the Isser. So that's, uh, the hypocrisy is not as blatant. But someone who, right now, he's going to go home and have his yantif suda, and he's going to eat things that are prohibited according to the laws of Chadash, that's just intolerable. He should not get the aliyah. Just a little bit of background again. So the Isra of Chadash is, as I just said, it's any grain that grows until the, until, once it grows, until the next Karbonoma or Pesach is prohibited as Chadash. Most people in the world today, in Chutz are, are not meticulous about this. Yashan is considered a Chumrah. Some, most kosher agencies and chutzlarets will certify food as kosher, even if it's not yashan. Some of them will, 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 will additionally certify food as, as, as yashan, the starke or other echsherim will write, this is yashan, you can find it on the packages sometimes. Some food is known to be yashan by checking date codes and so on, even though it's not marketed explicitly as yashan. But most people are not strict about yashan. This is an old, old question. It goes back five, six hundred years to the time of the Ramah and earlier. European Jews, Ashkenazim in particular, had not been strict, had not been meticulous about Yashan for many centuries. And the Akronim really, really struggled to understand why, because the, an objective reading of the halachic sources indicates, while it's not absolutely unanimous, the, the Sugin Alma, the, 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 the strong conclusion that one would draw in a vacuum from the literature of Yashan, is that yes, it applies Bismanazeh. The Chasim Selfer is famous for his uh, bone mo of Chadash Asr Minatara. New things are biblically prohibited. He used it to mean reform and the enlightenment, that everything new is suspect. He, he and his followers created this celebrated aphorism that anything new is prohibited, the credo of the arch-conservative. But the original phrase, Chadash Asmer Torah, the way he uses it here in this tshuva, is that, as he says here, the rove postkim gambazez man hu Eating food that's chadash, eating grain that's not certified as yashan kosher, is an isr daraisa. Some posts can say it's drabanan, some posts can have leniencies. From the time of the Ramah and onwards, Gedolei Ashkenaz have come up with numerous different reasons for why we're so lenient. All these reasons were basically a limudzchus. They were trying to justify widespread Ashkenazic practice. Many Akronim acknowledge, the Archa and others acknowledge. Ultimately, the reason we're relying on these uh, dubious and convoluted reasons is because they were desperate, that they didn't have the, the variety of products we have today. That uh, Archa Shulchan, I think, says you'd have to go for six months in Russia without grain if you weren't willing to eat, uh, weren't willing to eat chadash. So a combination of the fact that in Ashkenaz things were very difficult because of the agricultural conditions. It was very difficult. Jews didn't control their own food supply. The, the markets weren't as uh, weren't as wide weren't as wide open as they were today. They didn't have all the importing and exporting. They didn't have all the insight and transparency into supply chains. So for a variety of reasons, it was very, very difficult to be strict about Yashan. And the Akronim came up, we shown him, and the Akronim came up with a variety of reasons to be lenient. 
Here in America, where it's much easier to be strict, we have, much, we, have, we have many more options and we have much more visibility into the supply chain. Many poskim have increasingly, it's become a, uh, a popular chumrah to be strict about Yashin, because it, largely because, A, it's much more practical, it's, it's much easier to be strict. You can live a, a, a fulfilled and uh, satisfied life while being careful about Yashin. And B, the, again, we, the Achernan themselves acknowledge that the leniencies they used in Europe were not great, and they relied on them to a large extent because of, the, because of that of desperation. So again, this is all the background, the Chassam Sofer says from his Rebbe, Rabbi Nassim Adler, that, okay, maybe there is basis to be lenient. Ramas says it's mutter. Fine, you're allowed to be lenient. But to get the Aliyah of, uh, of Levi to, to, to stand there and have them read the Torah of Alechem, Bakali, Vacharma, Lo Sochelu, the Torah says, don't eat Chadash, and you, and you eat Chadash right now on Yantif. That is just intolerable. So Rabbi Nassim Adler's minag was, he would not give Levi to someone who was not strict about Chadash. One minhag. Another minhag, and this one is, both these minhagim are relevant to this time of the year, right around now. This second one is, is, is even more interesting in a certain sense. We have this once every seven years. The Chassim Sofer writes, a similar minhag he had, a similar minhag we have, Hashta, he says, Hacha Shnasa Shmita. That it's Shmita this year, he says. You shouldn't give the Aliyah of Loyigos Esreyehu, that's the prohibition against collecting debts after the Shmita, or during the Shmita, or after the Shmita. You shouldn't give it to anyone who does not execute a Prusbal on Erev Rosh Hashanah. What's Shmita and what's a Prusbal? So Shmita, people maybe are more familiar with the agricultural dimension, that you're not allowed to do certain kinds of work on the land in Eretz Yisrael. And the stuff that grows has certain kedusha, certain rules associated with it. There's also Shemitah's Ksafim, which is a cancellation of debts at the, at the seventh year. Debts are terminated, and the, the, the debtor is, is absolved of paying them back after Shemitah. Prozbol is an instrument designed by Chazal. People were not lending money because they were afraid of Shemitah. That was a terrible thing. First of all, the lenders who were refusing to lend money we're being over the Isser of Peniyah, Dovrim, Lvavcha, Bliya, Lemar, Karvash, Nasa, Shevash, Nasa, Shmita. Not lending money because you're afraid of Shmita is a violation of the, of the Torah. And B, the poor people weren't getting money, they needed money, and they weren't getting the money. So Chazal felt, the, felt it necessary, unfortunately, to basically abrogate Shmita. So they designed the mechanism, the instrument of Prusbal, a document that you sign. The, 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 the lender unilaterally goes to a basin and says, I hereby designate you my agents to collect this debt, I turn over the debt to you, and without getting into all the details, Prusbal was an instrument, a kind of, sort of like a legal fiction, kind of like Bechira Schamet and Hatem Bechira of Shemitah and Eretz Yisrael, Prusbal was a rabbinic institution that through, through going through this relatively simple ritual, you can, you can avoid Shemitah, Shemitah then does not take effect, and you can collect your debts after Shemitah. So, so those who keep Shemitah, those who practice the law of Shemitah's Ksafim, what they commonly do from the time of Chazal is to execute a prisbal to allow them to collect debts after Shemitah. Now from the time of the Rishonim, from the time of the Rush, at least, we discussed this in a previous reading response a few years ago, from the time of the Rush, we have records, many communities in Europe did not actually practice the law of Shemitah's Ksafim at all. They allowed the collection of debts after Shemitah, they didn't write prisbals. We discussed in that share of of the Rush, who, when he came to Spain, was greatly baffled by this. He couldn't understand why, why this was. It's against the halacha. Very similar to Yashan, actually, where the preponderance of halachic sources indicates Shemitah's Ksafim does apply bismanazeh, Shemitah's Ksafim does apply in Chutzlaretz, and people weren't knowing it. And this is even more difficult than Yashan, because this is trivial. 
This is trivial to get around. All you need to do is execute a prusbal. It takes five minutes or 15 minutes. It's not, it's not a big deal. It's very easy to do. It doesn't cost anything. So why weren't people keeping Shemitah? There's no pressure here to, to not keep it. As long as prusbal is a valid solution, how hard is it to do? It's quite trivial. So the Rush grappled with this, and later post came the Marik and the Trumas Adeshen. Lemaisa, the Minigan Ashkenaz, over many centuries was that they were not strict about Shemitah. In the modern era, writing a prosbul is quite common, certainly among Bnei Torah. But even today, Ramosha Feinstein has a tshuva, where he says if someone didn't write a prosbul, he is still allowed to collect the debt after Shemitah, because the Iker Lahalacha follows the opinion of the Rush and other poskim that acknowledge the minhag and Ashkenaz not to practice Shemitah. Similar to Yashin, there's a long-standing minhag, even though it's difficult in terms of the sources, there's a long-standing minhag that we ignore Shemitah. But again, people who are, people who are Hasidim, who are Medaktek, Hasidim in the general sense of pious, people who are meticulous will often, uh, generally will write a prosbul. But Ni'ikra Din, many Ashkenazic poskim have said, Ashkenazim in particular have said, that, we do, that the law of Shemitah does not apply to So now, very similar to what we said about Chadash, the Chassam Sofer says, this year is Shemitah, someone who is not practicing Shemitah, who isn't, in other words, who is not writing a prosbul, and is still planning on collecting his debts after Shemitah, he should not get the Aliyah of Lo Now, the Chassam Sofer, when he explains what it means not to write a prosbul, We'll get, we'll get back to this in a moment. Let's just wrap up the tshuva. He says, these are things, you want to know who shouldn't get called up to the Torah? These are things that Hasidim should be meticulous about. Not to call up to the aliyah of Lechem Mikali Vicharmel, someone who is right now on this Yom Tov of Sukkot violating the Isra of Chadash, even if, if Meikra Din, he has the right to be Samech on the Mekilim, perhaps. Similarly, someone who is violating the Isra of Shemitah, apparently, even if there's Yeshal Milismok to Mekil, maybe, nevertheless, he shouldn't get the aliyah of these make sense. But again, the Chassam Sofer says, the minute you mentioned originally, the idea that someone who wears wool shouldn't be called to, shouldn't be, be daven for the Amud, that is just, uh, that's just, uh, that, that just doesn't make sense, he says. Unless you tell me the reason, you explain it to me, and then, if, it, if it's true, I'll agree. If you can, if you can make some, some coherent case for it, I will listen. Misha Shmo Emes, Yerani Yudarech Yivchar, Ve'echtam Bebracha, Moshe, Moshe Sofer of Frankfurt, Amen. Now, when the Chassam Sofer says, what does it mean, someone who is not meticulous about Shemitah, who doesn't write a prosbol? So the Chassam Sofer says something very striking and very uh, noteworthy, very even controversial. Chassam Sofer says, someone who doesn't write a prosbol, Erev Roshanah Ha'avar Beknisa Shemitah, Someone who hasn't written a prosbul this pastor era of this pastor Hashanah when Shemitah began, and he should write a prosbul erev Rosh Hashanah Habalenu this coming era this coming era of Rosh Hashanah Bitziaso at the end of Shemitah. Lots of today call up poskim b'zeh to be yotze all poskim. What the Chazam Sofer seems to be saying is that someone who wants to do the right thing should write a prosbul now or in a week or two before Rosh Hashanah of erev Shemitah, as well as. A year from now, before next Rosh Hashanah, he should write a prosbul again. Before, on Erev Rosh Hashanah at the beginning of Shemitah, and Erev Rosh Hashanah at the end of Shemitah. Why would you do that? Why would you write two prosbuls? So in order to understand that, we have to understand when a prosbul should be written. The halacha is, there's no real rule for when you write a prosbul. You can write it whenever you want. Whenever you want to write a prosbul, it is perfectly valid. What's the issue? The issue is that although it's true you can write a prosbul whenever you want, 
A prisbal only works to protect debts that already, that already were made at the time of the prisbal. Prisbal works on all debts that were already in existence at the time of its execution. Prisbal does not work for any debts that are made, any loans that are made after the execution of the prisbal. Therefore, normally one writes a prisbal close to, the, to when Shemitah kicks in, because if you write a prisbal too early, it works, but it won't cover any debts that, that you made after the prisbal before Shemitah. So if you write a prisbal three years before Shemitah, you then have three years that you're unprotected. Any debts you may, any loans you make in the next three years won't be covered by the prisbal. If you write a prisbal two years before Shemitah, any debts that you make in those two years won't be covered by the prisbal. So logically, someone who wants all his debts to be protected, the most efficient way to do this, the only way to do it, is by writing a prisbal shortly before Shemitah. There is a minhag, Ben Eshchai, other postkim, contemporary postkim, suggest that if a per- right after a person writes a prisbal, Erev Hashanah, let's say, but when, right before Shemitah is going to take effect, he should then make a small debt, a token debt, a few dollars, a, a loaf of bread. Women should do what he said, lend a loaf of bread to their neighbors, in order to be able to do the mitzvah of canceling the debt on Shemitah. You don't necessarily want your prisbal to abolish all your debt, then you won't get the mitzvah of canceling debts in Shemitah. So make at least one debt of a nominal amount, even after the, you write the prisbal, to have at least one debt where you can follow the law of Shemitah. Okay, some people might feel that that's a little bit too, uh, too artificial or too cute, but Ben Eshchai, one of the Gidol Echronim, says, this is a good minhag, I've seen people do this. I'll call upon him, generally a prisbal is written as close as reasonably possible to the onset of Shemitah, because that's when, that's what you need to protect all your debts. When is the onset of Shemitah? At what point in Shemitah are debts cancelled? So that is a machlokus in the Gemara, it's a shayla, whether Shemitah is Mishamatas, Betchila, or Besof. The halacha, according to all poskim, virtually all poskim, at least, is that Shemitah takes effect at the end of Shemitah. So, right now, in a couple of weeks, there'll be Rosh Hashanah, and debts will, be, debts will not be canceled, because, that, because when Rosh Hashanah comes, that will be the beginning of Shemitah. So debts will not be canceled then. Debts will not be canceled throughout the seventh year. When next Rosh Hashanah occurs, a little more than a year from now, that's when debts are canceled. And therefore, according to the mainstream halacha, a prisbal should be written, you can write it whenever you want, again, but if you want it to cover all your debts, it should be written close to Rosh Hashanah of next year, in about a year from now, a little over a year from now. There is, however, a, an outlier shita of the Rush and the Balaiter. They have a very interesting and novel shita. They say, even though it's true that we paskin, that Shemitah is Mishamatas Lubasof, at the end of Shemitah, they say that the lav of Loigos, the Torah says, do not collect debts after Shemitah, that lav kicks in at the beginning of Shemitah. The debt itself is kind of in limbo for the entire year of Shemitah. The actual cancellation doesn't occur till the end, but the, but the malva, the creditor, is prohibited from, from demanding payment throughout the seventh year. So throughout the seventh year, the debt is kind of frozen. It still exists, but the creditor cannot demand its payment. And at the end of the seventh year, the debt terminates and evaporates. Therefore, the rush says, you cannot write a prisbal during the seventh year. Even though the debt is still there and is not canceled until the end of the seventh year, since the lav of Loigos has already kicked in, the lav of Loigos says, this debt is untouchable, you can't collect it, you cannot write a prisbal at all during the seventh year. Therefore, according to the rush, you have to write a prisbal before the beginning of the seventh year. What about debts you actually made in the seventh year? That's not so clear. There are some Akronim who say that, that even according to the rush, you can write a nor- normal prisbal at the end of the seventh year for those debts. Others are not so sure about that. 
But putting that case aside of debts made in the seventh year, according to the Rush, a prosbul must be made before the beginning of the seventh year to be valid. According to most poskim, according to the Iker Lahalacha, a prosbul can be made any time, including in the seventh year, and therefore you would make a prosbul at the end of the seventh year. So everyone who writes a prosbul writes one at the end of the seventh year, because that's the sheet of most poskim. The question is, should you also write a prosbul before the beginning of the seventh year, at the end of the sixth year, meaning now, next week or so, in order to be yotze, the sheet of the rush? This is a, a general question in halacha. How far do we go for chumrah to be choshish for every shita? Prusbul itself, some say, is a chumrah because the minigashkaz is not to be knowing shmita. The chasam sofer here seems to be telling you that if you want to be someone in good standing who can get the aliyah of, who gets the aliyah of loigos, you should write two prusbuls. One before the roshana at the end of the seventh year, next year, and one now before roshana of this year. Chasam sofer says, you shouldn't give the aliyah l'mishlo asa prosbol erev rosh hashanah ha'avar b'knisa shmita if you haven't written a prosbol this past right, right now was shmita. The Shacham Sofer wrote this chuv in the middle of the year of shmita. Anyone who hadn't written a prosbol erev rosh hashanah of the previous rosh hashanah and also he should make a prosbol in erev rosh hashanah of the coming year ha'baleinu b'yitziyasu at the end of shmita. Why should you write both these prosbols? Lots is yidei kala poskim in order to be yotze all shitos most poskim as well as the rush. You should write two prosbols, and if you don't write two prosbols, you're not taking Shemitah seriously enough, and you should not get the aliyah of Loigos. That is an incredible chumrah. Again, Chasim Sofer is not the only one who says you should be choshish for the rush. As we'll see, other posts can took this position as well. But the Chasim Sofer seems to be saying in this tshuva that you should, if you want to be, one, if you want to be someone who keeps Shemitah and is in good standing vis-a-vis the biblical psukim of Shemitah, if you want to get the aliyah of Loigos, you should... You should write two prosbols, one before Rosh Hashanah of next year, and one before Rosh Hashanah of this year. This is the first of the two tshuvas of the Chasim Sofer that I wanted to see. The second tshuva is as follows. The second tshuva, he, he wrote that, he says he got a letter from someone, a student of his, refers to him as his Talmud, he says, the fellow asked him about prosbol. This fellow wanted to write a prosbul and wanted to use... A prosbul has to be executed in front of a basin, three dayanim. We Ashkenazim, Aramanagiz, we use any three people, any, any three people in shul. This person wanted to use the chasam sofer as one of the dayanim of his prosbul. He wanted to make a prosbul in front of his rebbe. And this person wrote, since this year, the year of Tufkuf Samach Dalad, the year of 1804, is... Uh, well, 1804, it would have been, I guess, uh, 1800... The end of 1803, the Rosh comes before the, before the Western New Year, 1803, 1804. So, th- this year, I'm sorry, this year was not Shemitah, this year was the sixth year, it was Shana Shishis, according to the way we paskin. This machlok is Rishonim, when Shemitah is, we'll discuss that later. But according to our Minog, this is the sixth year. And this person wanted to be, this Talmud wanted to be Choshesh for the Eter and the Rush, that you need to write a prosbul before the beginning of the seventh year. So right now, in other words, the, the student, he, the, this letter was written in Av, Chodesh Av, right around now, the, shortly before Rosh Hashanah, the student wanted to execute a prosbul at the end of the sixth year. And he asked the Chasim Sofer about this. Says the Chasim Sofer, you are being too from. He says, you're being too machmer, too many chumras. He says, Uvda Yadana, I have a fact. I can tell you an actual episode, he says. Again, again we encounter Mori Varabi Achasid Zatzal, Rav Adler, he says, Rav Adler wrote a prosbul, 
and he gave it to me and to somebody else. He did a prismal in front of, uh, in front of me, he says, at the end of the year, Tuf Kuf Mem Dalid, which was the begin- right before the beginning of the year, Tuf Kuf Mem Hey. So that is uh, 17, that would be the end, that, that would be in the end of the year, uh, 1784. Uh, Hebrew calendar ticked over from Mem, Mem Dalid to Mem Hey, the end of 1784. And that was Sof Shemitah. That year was the end of the seventh year. And I know the Chassam Sofer says, I know for a fact, he did not write a prosbul in the end of the year, Tuf Kuf Mem Gimel, in the end of the previous year. How do I know that? And my father would always remind me at the beginning of uh, Yeridea, I'm actually learning Hilchashkita now, but I didn't get to this yet, but at the beginning of Yeridea, there's a famous discussion in the Shach whether women can shech. Some argued, Lorinu, a woman shechti. We never saw it. Others say, Lorinu, Anaraya. You, know, you didn't see it. Well, not seeing, not seeing something, absence of evidence is not uh, evidence of absence, so to speak. So, Lorinu is not Araya. Says the Chasim Sofer, I know for sure Rabnasan Adler did not write a prosbol in the before the onset of the seventh year. How do I know that? I followed him around. I stuck to him like a shadow. I did that in order to learn from him. He says, I hung around him. I stuck to him like glue, like a shadow. I went everywhere he went. I know for sure he didn't leave for five minutes. I know he didn't write a prosbol. I watched him every single thing he did. I don't know how many days or weeks he must have been like this in order to make sure he didn't do the prisbal, but I know for a fact the Chassam Sofer says he only wrote one prisbal, Besov Shemitah, he did not write a prisbal, Betchila Shemitah. Taimar Rabbah, he says, and it makes a lot of sense not to be Choshish. The halacha is, even if it's Machlokas, the halacha is, Kala Mekel Ba'aret, Halacha Mosebe Chutzlarz, and Chutzlarz were more lenient, and you can be Mekel. Kolshkin, he said, it's not just a, it's not even, um, even Machlokas. All the poskim, except the Eter and the Rush, which is an outlying opinion, he says, all the poskim say there's no need for a prisbol and the Torah who follows the Rush. All the poskim, the overwhelming consensus is you don't need a prisbol betchila shmita. The Rashba and Achuva says that the whole, the whole Chiddush of the, of the Rush is based on a corrupt text of the Tosefta, that the Rush made this up. It's a tremendous Chiddush, Laigos. The, the Rush made this whole thing up to explain a difficult Tosefta. Other Rishonim say the Tosefta's text is corrupt. It's not what Tosefta means at all. And then the Chesim Sarfer says there is, a, there is a way to explain the Psukim, I'll be the Rush, that the, he has a careful reading of the Psukim, that, the, that there actually is a way to read the Psukim that, that make this into the Pshat, that even though, the, even though that there are two Shemitahs, the actual cancellation occurs at the end of the seventh year, but the Ligos occurs in the beginning of the seventh year. It is possible to read the Psukim like that, but at the end of the day, the only reason to do that is because of the because of the evidence of the Tosefta, and the Rishonim say it's not the correct girsa. So he says, this Chumrah is, Rambam Adler didn't do it, it's, uh, it's, 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 there's no reason to do it, it's against the halachic consensus, and therefore, I don't think you should be doing this. Now he says, Meikar Adin, later he says, he has, it's a long tshuva, skipping most of it, Meikar Adin, he says, Ein lachish klal, there's no need to write a prisbal beginning of the seventh year, before the seventh year. Mikal Makom, he says, Im nafsho if a person wants to do it, I'm not going to say it's wrong. I'm not going to do it, he implies, but you want to do it, and maschichin also. I'm not going to tell you not to do it, he says. Mios tov, ra. Never hurts to be machmer, he says. It's not yuhara. Sometimes we say doing, I, every, every rule has an exception. Sometimes we say that doing exotic humerus and nobody else does is actually prohibited because of yuhara. It's considered uh, gava, con- conceitedness, uh, that it's considered inappropriate to have certain showy uh, humerus. This is not Yuara, he says, 
because anyway, the prosbol is kosher whenever you write it. As I said, there's no, there's no official term to write a prosbol. You can write a prosbol whenever you want. So, and if a person writes a prosbol early, he can write a second one to cover debts that occurred between the two prosbols. So certainly there's nothing wrong with writing a prosbol. So if you want to write a prosbol to be Yotzi, the sheet of the rush, good for you. Not going to stop you, he says. But Mikra din ain lachosh klal. Ein lahat rochyoser. Chassam Sofer explains why He's not writing any, quite a long tshuva as it is, but he said he's not going to write in, at any greater length, he says, because he wrote this, Be'ishon le'el chesav, late at night on uh, chesav. He says during the day, he apparently exerted himself, giving a, a major hesped, barabim, for the gon, the author of Tarasi Kusiel, and he's exhausted. Therefore, he says, this is all I have to say for now. Another time, Amir Tzashem, he says, L'chshefne, if I have time, uh, I'll, I'll read more carefully what you've written, and maybe I'll get back to you. But in the meantime, he says, this is what I have to say. My Rebbe didn't write it. My sainted Rebbe didn't write a prosbul before the seventh year. There's no reason to. I'll be You do not need to do this. If you want to do this, it can't hurt. Kalakavot to you, he says, but you don't need to do it. So in the first tshuva, he strongly implies a person really should write two prosbuls, one before the sixth year, one before the seventh year. In this tshuva, he says, it's absolutely unnecessary Rabbi Adler didn't do it. If you want to do it, you can do it. How to reconcile these two tshuvas of the Chassim Sofer was the subject of a discussion in the 20th century between Rabbi Yisrael Veltz, one of the distinguished poskim of Eretz Yisrael, and the Tzitzel Yezer of Ledu de Waldenberg, another one of the great poskim of the time. Rabbi Veltz had asked this question that these two tshuvas are very different. In neither tshuva does he say you have to, but in the first tshuva he strongly encourages it. If you want to be a, a, a Shemitah observer in good standing and get the Aliyah, you really should be writing two prosbols, he says. In this tshuva, he says, absolutely unnecessary. The Gon, or Nosen Adler, didn't do it. The Gon and Chassid, or Nosen Adler, didn't do it. If you want to do it, you can do it, but not necessary. How do we reconcile that? Tzitz has a very innovative rereading of the first Chassim Sofer. He has a revisionist reading. Chassim Sofer did not mean that you can't get the Aliyah unless you write both prosbols. He meant you can't get the Aliyah if you don't plan on writing either prosbol. A person has a choice. He can write a prosbol anytime, as the Chassam Sefer says in the other tshuva, before the seventh year, during the seventh year. A person, if he wants to get the aliyah, if he wants to keep Shemitah, has to write at least one. So some people write maybe last year, some people write next year, he says. You have to plan to write at least one prosbol. Someone, who someone who's not planning on writing either prosbol, he didn't write one last year, he's not planning on writing one next year, such a person shouldn't get the aliyah. Avada, you don't have to write two, he says. Avada, certainly writing one is sufficient. And he actually changes the girsa in the first tshuva, the Chassam Sofer. He rereads it in a, in a somewhat creative way. And he argues that the Chassam Sofer does not mean to give any credence to the shita that you should, uh, that you should write to. At the end of the day, he says, if the Chassam Sofer's revered Rebbe only wrote one, it's inconceivable the Chassam Sofer would push for two, especially because he just got finished talking about how his Rebbe is the one who said that you shouldn't give the aliyah to someone who doesn't write the... Someone who doesn't, who doesn't keep Chadash, now he talks about Prisbal, to say that he's uh, pushing for a shita that his own Rebbe, who he, uh, who he worshipped, you know, didn't, uh, didn't, didn't, didn't do, is, is hard to accept. So Rav Waldenberg resolves the contradiction in favor of the second tshuva, that the Chassam Sofer absolutely did not think it was, uh, think it was uh, a good thing to do to write two Prisbals. It can't hurt, he said. Yes, if you want to, you can write one. If you want to, you can write both. And he says, anybody who did write one last year is still a Shemitah observer, kol shayte v'shayte zimnehu, and can still get the Aliyah. But when he says that if you didn't write a prosbul last year, and he, he meant if you don't write one last year, and you're not going to write one next year, and it's during Shemitah now, if that's your intention, that you haven't written one last year, and you're not going to write one this year, 
then you're not, you're not a Shemitah observer and you shouldn't get the Aliyah. But if you wrote either one, that's good enough. You don't have to write both. That's how Rav Waldenberg reads the, reads the Chasim Sofer. It's not the Pachim Shana of the Chasim Sofer. It's, uh, that doesn't seem to be the most straightforward reading. But anyway, this is an open question as to whether the Chasim Sofer actually encouraged writing two prosbols to the extent that he recommended you don't get the Aliyah if you don't write both, which is the Pachim Shana of the Chasim Sofer, and how Ravel's understood the Chasim Sofer, or according to Rav Waldenberg, Chasim Sofer did not mean that and just meant that if you want to be a Shemitah observer in good standing, you have to write at least one prosbol, but not necessarily both. Just to give a little more background on this question of writing the, the additional prosbol, the Chumrah, now, before the beginning of the seventh year, there are a number of Gedolei Achronim, mainstream, major poskim, who did actually recommend writing this second prosbol. One of them is the Shulchan Aruch Harav. Shulchan Aruch Harav writes as follows, Zman prosbol hu l'chatchila b'sof ashishis, l'fnei Rosh Hashanah shal shviyas. The ideal time to write a prosbol, at least the first prosbol, is the end of the sixth year, now, before Rosh Hashanah of the seventh year. Imloas a prosbol b'sof shishis, if you haven't executed a prosbol at the end of the sixth year, at least yasa b'shviyas ad Rosh Hashanah shal matzah shviyas. Write one throughout the seventh year until the end of the seventh year. So the Shulchan Aruch Harav explicitly recommends writing a prosbol b'sof shishis, to be choshesh for the shita of the rush. Rav Yonis and Eibshitz, in the Oren Vatumim, Hayare Vachared, someone who is a Yeresh and is Chared Lezbar Hashem, he should be stringent, Lassos Prozbol Be'erav Shviyas. Unless, he says, you're dealing with the halva that happened during Shemitah, then, he says, you can be so mechan, the Radvaz and the Bach, that even according to the rush, you can write a Prozbol Be'erav Shemitah, he doesn't understand that, but that's what you can do. But again, Rav Yonis and Eibshitz, like the Shulchan Aruch Harav, recommends that a person write a Prozbol Be'erev Shviyas, before the onset of the seventh year. The Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov, the author of the Pasa Shulchan, also mentions the possibility of this Chumrah being Choshesh for the Rush, and writing a Prozbul before the seventh year, before the beginning of the seventh year, now. He also adds a a, a fascinating twist. He adds another reason to write a Prozbul before the beginning of the seventh year. We mentioned earlier, briefly, we alluded earlier to the fact there is actually some dispute as to what year Shemitah is. It's not an entirely resolved question as to what year Shemitah is. We don't have an absolutely reliable Masorah. In the time of the Rishonim, there was a great debate about what year Shemitah actually was. In general, the Halacha uh, reached a consensus around, around a specific Shita, which is that next year is Shemitah. But that is not totally Muslim. There is actually an opinion that this year is Shemitah, that right now we're in the middle of Shemitah. Again, the Halacha, we say next year is Shemitah, not everyone agrees. There is an opinion that this year is Shemitah. So Rabbi, the, the Gona Vilna, Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov's great Rebbe, wrote several different versions of a discussion about the different Shittas about when Shemitah is. Some of them are printed in the Bir Hagra. Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov quotes another version of the Bir Hagra of his Rebbe, which he says is Miksabyad. I couldn't find it in our, in our Bir Hagra, but he quotes, his, he quotes his Rebbe, the Gona Vilna, as saying, that after he goes through all the different shitas and the, about what year Shemitah is, he says, A person should write a prosbol, Erev Rosh Hashanah of Shemitah, Shemitah of the Rambam is the, the, Shemitah, that, the, the Shemitah that we pass in like next year, but to be Yotze, the other shitas, the Shemitah of the Ri, I think it is, that this year is Shemitah, the year before the Rambam Shemitah, a person should write a prosbol to, to be Yotze L'chaladeus, at the end of this year, which, which, according to the, which according to the Rambam is before the beginning of Shemitah, but according to the Re, it's the end of Shemitah, because this year is Shemitah. So a person should write a prosbul at the end of the sixth year, because according to some Rishonim, that's really the seventh year.
So now, when Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov discusses the Chumrah, the Rush, that even if you know what year Shemitah is, you should always ride a Prusbal anyway before the beginning of the seventh year to be out to the Sheet of the Rush, says Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov, anyway you should do that according to the Gon, because you want to be Yotzi the Sheet of the Reed, that this year is Shemitah. So once you ride a Prusbal now, you Yotzi both Sheetahs. You Yotzi the Sheetah of the, the Chumrah, the Grah, that this year is really Shemitah, and I better ride a Prusbal therefore before this year ends, before Rosh Hashanah, because this year, right now, we're holding at the end of Shemitah. You should also write a prismal now because of the sheet of the Rosh and the Eter, because even though next year is Shemitah, you're supposed to write a prismal before the beginning of Shemitah. So writing a prismal now, in addition to next year, accomplishes two things. First of all, your choshish for the Rosh, that you're supposed to write a prismal before the beginning of Shemitah. Second, your choshish for the, what the Vilna Gon says, that this year might actually be Shemitah, so you're writing a prismal before the end of Shemitah, if this year is Shemitah. Of course, the... Those of you who are uh, on the ball will have uh, will surely have noted that if you want to really be machmer, you should write three prosbols. You should write one prosbol next year because that's the Iker Shemitah and that's next year is the end of the Iker Shemitah. You should write a prosbol now, either like Rabbi Shrelov Shklov says, either because of the sheet of the rush that you should write a prosbol before the beginning of Shemitah, or because of the sheet of the Gra, maybe this year is Shemitah. And if you add them together, you should write a prosbol. You should have written a prosbol before, before last Rosh Hashanah, because put those two things together. Maybe this year is merely Shemitah, according to some Rishonim, and maybe the Rosh is right that you're supposed to write a prosbol before the beginning of Shemitah, so you should really have written a third prosbol, the beginning of last year. That was my, uh, that was my thoughts when I read this Rabbi Yisrael of Shklov. I have never, ever seen anyone do that. I have never, ever seen anyone write a prosbol two years before the end of what we call Shemitah. But that would be a, uh, a real Chumrah going to taking everything to its logical extreme, you can do that too. You can write a third prosbol, meaning the beginning of last year. I've never seen anybody do that. Perhaps everyone agrees that even chumras have a limit. They can pile on the chumras one on top of another, but even that, uh, even uh, that there is such a thing as too much of a good thing, and maybe that, according to everyone, is too much of a chumra. But I'll call upon him, writing a prosbol now, before this coming Shemitah, is uh, recommended by numerous Gedalia poskim. Among contemporary poskim, there are split. They bring from Rabbi Yashiv and the Chazarnish and different different gedolei Eretz Yisrael. Some did write a prosbol before before erev Rosh Hashanah, beginning of Shemitah. Some did not. There are opinions on both sides, and as we as we've seen, there are major gedolei Achronim who did recommend writing a prosbol now before the beginning of the seventh year. Shulchan Aruch Harav, Orim Betumim, the Pasher Pshat and the Chasim Sofer, although Rav Waldenberg uh, does not accept that. So. At the end of the day, it's, it's kind of a, 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 a meta-halachic question, what your approach to halach is. On the one hand, unlike Chadash, it's a, it's a very easy chumr to do. doesn't cost much, doesn't take much time. So why not? On the other hand, Reb Nassim Adler knew that as well, and he felt unnecessary, according to the Chasim Sofer. And there were other gedolim who said, it just, you just don't need to do it. At some point, there is such a thing as a, a, a decision-making process in halacha. At some point, we just say, this is the halacha, and you don't have to be choshish for everything. As I pointed out, even though there are actually two reasons for making a prosbol now, you can also argue you should have made a prosbol last year, and nobody does that. Even chumras have a limit. So some posts apparently felt, the rush is a das yachid. We don't go with it. Halacha sometimes reaches a conclusion. You don't have to be machmer for every chumra. The bottom line is, in this particular case, the, again, everyone can uh, make his own decision, but it always seemed to me, given that A, there are Gedolei Akronim of pretty recent, uh, in pretty recent history as well, as recent as the last century or two, uh, who did recommend doing it, and there were some contemporary Gedolei who do it, and that it's so easy, it seems to me that a good case can be made for doing it, and my custom generally has been to do it, but again, everyone can, 
consult his Rav or ask his, uh, reach his own decision, reach his own conclusion based on the Sugya.